From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Hello, welcome to Washington Watch. I'm Meg Kilgannon, Senior Fellow for Education Studies here at Family Research Council. I'm filling in for Tony, who's away on vacation with his family. And we're looking forward to having him back. And in the meanwhile, we're really glad you're here with us today. Coming up on the program. There's discussions going on among us and the military about extending. Our hope is we will not have to extend, but there are going to be discussions, I suspect, on how far along we are in the process. That was President Biden yesterday responding to a reporter's question about whether or not he will extend the deadline to withdraw U.S. troops from Afghanistan. If evacuation operations are not yet completed by August 31st, what might happen if pre the president wants to extend the deadline but the Taliban does not? We'll talk about this and other developments in Afghanistan with FRC's Executive Vice President, Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin. And while the president yesterday connected his, the drop in his approval rating to his decision to withdraw troops from Afghanistan, polling shows it's less about the decision and more about how that decision has been executed. And that's not the only crisis that likely U.S. voters say is being mishandled right now. We'll talk about this with Jim Lee, president, CEO, and founder of Susquehanna Polling and Research. And speaking of handling a crisis, with gender ideology pushed on our nation's children, parents are asking themselves how they should protect their children from the radical onslaught we're seeing. How, uh, how can you pull them out if they've been sucked into the gender cult? Maria Keffler, co-founder of Partners for Ethical Care, has written a book that parents will find incredibly helpful to navigate through that issue. She'll join me later in the program. And just today, the U.S. Food and Drug Administration gave full approval for the Pfizer-BioNTech COVID-19 vaccine for individuals 16 years of age and older. What does this mean for students, private sector employees, government employees, and military service members? We'll talk about this with Mike Berry, General Counsel for First Liberty Institute, whose office was already receiving hundreds of requests for legal help on the issue of vaccine mandates prior to the FDA's announcement. Be sure to stay for that conversation. You can find the details of the show and past show shows at TonyPerkins.com. So if you miss any part of today's program, you'll be able to find it at the website. If you're on Gab, you can find Tony at, at Tony underscore Perkins. And with social media, you never know who's going to be censored or deplatformed. So stay in touch with us. Text the word STAND, S-T-A-N-D, to 67742. That way we can stay in contact with you and send you updates and alerts on the news, events, and resources you need. Also, I encourage you to download the Stand Firm app. You can listen to Washington Watch on the app, read the latest from the FRC team, and get alerts both at the federal level and state level so that you can take action on important issues. Visit frc.org app or type stand firm wherever you download apps. Now, for our guest. Yesterday, President Biden delivered remarks on the evacuation operation in Afghanistan, again defending his handling of the U.S. withdrawal by saying the current debacle was unavoidable. Let's play clip one. Let me be clear. The evacuation of thousands of people from Kabul is going to be hard and painful no matter when it started, when we began. It would have been true if we had started a month ago or a month from now. 
There is no way to evacuate this many people without pain and loss of heartbreaking images you see on television. It's just a fact. He added shortly afterward that we'll have a long way to go and that a lot could still go wrong. Well, it didn't take long for another problem to pop up. Earlier today, a senior Taliban spokesman told UK's Sky News that the United States will face, quote, consequences, end quote, if we seek additional time beyond the August 31st deadline to continue evacuations. That date, he said, was a, quote, red line, end quote. What could this mean? With me now to talk about these and other developments in Afghanistan is FRC's Executive Vice President, Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin, who was one of the original members of the U.S. Army's Delta Force. He spent the last four years of his 36 military year military career serving as the Deputy Undersecretary of Defense for Intelligence. General, welcome back to the program. Thank you, Meg. I'm glad to be with you. Uh, the president yesterday said his hope is not to have to extend the August 31st deadline, but that there are discussions going on. Um, what do the comments made today by the Taliban, Taliban mean for the U.S.? Well, clearly, Meg, it's a threat. It's a threat uh, to the U.S. president. It's a threat to America as a whole. Uh, now, what do they have to back that threat up with? Well, probably a whole lot more than they did, say, two weeks ago. And uh, I think that what the, it's time for our president to find his backbone and to make it very clear, very clear to the Taliban that uh, either we're going to get our people out of there or we're going to come with more forces and air power and everything it takes for us to not only destroy them and their infrastructure, but to get our people back. Right. In his remarks yesterday, President Biden said the evacuation would be hard and painful no matter what. So it seems like you think that there is a role for our forces to go in. Yeah, Meg, first of all, it, if they'd had a plan, it would not have been nearly as difficult as it is now. If they'd had an executable plan. But you know, starting in 1977, the U.S. military started developing counterterror forces that uh, had the specific mission of rescuing people, rescuing hostages. The Army was first with the Delta Force, and then the, the Navy came along with SEAL Team 6. And then the Marine Corps under Donald Rumsfeld put together their own capabilities. So you got three services that have a capability to go in and rescue people. And they're backed up by the Air Force, which works with all three of them to make sure we've got the kind of uh, fire support that we need and we've got uh, the airlift and so forth. It is time for the president to give the order to go ahead and use those forces to go after these Americans and let's get this over with. Let's, why would we even want to, to draw this thing out if we have a capability to end it right now? And I think we need to go after these people and we need to use the forces that were created to do that. I, I would agree with that completely. Yesterday, Secretary of State Anthony Blinken was grilled by Chris Wallace on Fox News Sunday regarding the, quote, flat wrong statements made by the president. Here's a clip from their exchange. The president said Al-Qaeda al is gone. It's not gone. The president said he's not heard any criticism from the allies. There's been a lot of criticism from the allies. Words matter, and the words of the president matter most. 
Chris, all I can tell you is what, what I've heard. And again, this is an, a powerfully emotional time for a lot of allies and partners, as it is for me, as it is for us. So uh, what's your reaction to that, General? <laughs> I, I find this absolutely bizarre that he totally ignored reality. <clears throat> I mean, it's recorded. You can play it. You can bring up clips of people in the British Parliament talking about us, uh, yeah. our allies talking about us in a very negative way, and specifically talking about our president. And he just totally ignored that and called them emotional. I don't think that is going to uh, help our relations. And by the way, remember, he's the top diplomat in the United States. Right. It reminded me of the, uh, it was, I think, the CDC, new CDC director who had the, uh, the, the cr emotional session when she <laughs> said that everything was going to get much worse and we should all just cry about it. Um, well, the, the Biden administration has moved quickly to process migrants streaming across the southern border, but it's not been able to speed up the process times for Afghanistan interpreters and other allies who assisted in America's 20-year war effort. Um, what do you, what, what can we draw from this? Where are your priorities? Yeah. You know, these Afghans, I, I, I sad to say, but I don't think that this administration uh, has a, a real passion for these uh, Afghan interpreters and uh, and contractors and people that helped us in the 20 years that we were there. I don't think they have much of a passion for them. I, I'm not going to to say that they don't care, but this clearly their priority is the southern border in terms of getting people in the country across the southern border. And and when you look at what an abysmal situation they have there, you really are left saying. You know, which one of these situations is worse? Right. And right now, probably Afghanistan because of the lives, the American lives are at stake. But don't think for one minute that American lives are not at stake at what's happening on this border because there are multiple things there that are bad. One is there's a lot of COVID coming across that border. Number two, there are terrorists coming across that border. Number three, there's fentanyl and other drugs coming across that border. So there are American lives at stake in terms of what is being done and what is not being done on the border. Agreed. It does make you question their commitment to human life overall. Mm -hmm. Aside from their stated abortion policies, there that seems to be a philosophy that, that completely encompasses government. Um, well... NPR host Michelle Martin diverted blame away from President Biden for the ongoing chaos in Afghanistan and pivoted to concerns about the potential of white nationalist groups using the situation as a recruiting tool. And I think we have a clip about this. I mean, I, I just think this whole question of whether this was worth it, how this whole thing ended, that just is something that is going to be roiling the country for quite some time. But I tell you what I'm concerned about, and. and you know, Craig, you also have expertise in this area. One of the concerns I have is what this does for recruiting of white nationalist groups. I mean, this has been one of their core issues, is refugees and a sense of Americans losing their identity and their sense of potency both at home and abroad. And I just think this is a very fraught time for the country. Well, that's another one that sort of takes your breath away when you consider the contents of her remarks. Um, I, I'm just wondering, as a as someone who uh, you know 
took the oath to protect and defend the Constitution of the United States. What do you think about that? I probably shouldn't say what I'm about to say, <laughs> but I, I don't think she has the capacity to get beyond talking points. And I think that's exactly what she was doing there. When, when all else fails, go to the white supremacy. Right. Go to the white rage. Mm -hmm. Go exactly. to the white nationalist. When everything else fails and you don't have any other argument because that's where, that's our soft spot. Right. That's where we're sensitive. Well, let me tell you, uh, I think that the luster on people like her, the luster on people that use that in this country is fading very quickly because we have a real problem on the border. We have a real problem in Afghanistan and there is no place for that kind of nonsense in the dialogue on what's happening. I agreed. Thank you, sir, Thank for you. being with us. We encourage You're everyone. You're better than Tony, by the way. So. <laughs> I don't know about that at all. You don't we, intimidate me. <laughs> We're encouraging everybody to keep praying for the situation in Afghanistan, for the border in our country. Coming up, President Biden's approval rating continues to drop, but where does he stand now? We'll talk about this with Jim from Susquehanna Polling after the break. Don't go away. Today, moral relativism and political correctness are assaulting truth. How can the world have hope when believers themselves aren't clear on the authority of the Bible? The Church of Jesus Christ always faces a tremendous temptation to deviate from the Word of God. The God who speaks clearly expresses God's intent in giving us His Word and the response that is demanded of those who hear. Nobody ever encounters God and says, that was boring and irrelevant. When people say that about the Bible, it just says to me, they've not encountered the God of the Bible. Our faith is rooted in history, and, and consequently, we need to use the evidence and never be afraid of it. The God Who Speaks is a feature-length documentary from the American Family Association which could bolster your confidence in the Word of God. Churches really need to see this, really need to understand what the Bible actually is. Available now at thegodwhospeaks.org. Here's a moment of hope for your home with Jerry and Becky Drace. You know, children repeat what they hear. Just listen to how people talk and the words they use. Listen to Psalm chapter 19, verse 14. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Parents, let me ask you, what kind of language do you not allow to be spoken in your home? If you use foul language, do not be surprised to hear your children repeat what they hear. Words are powerful. So parents, please remember that when it comes out of the mouth, it lies in the heart. If you want respectful, kind children, then check the words you use. Your words impact your home. Let your words be pleasing to the Lord, and then the words of your children will be like yours. Learn more about the ministry of Jerry and Becky Drace, including evangelism with integrity, devotions, articles, and more at hopeforthehome.org. 
This has been a moment of hope for your home. Emmy was in a bad relationship when she found out she was pregnant. Her boyfriend told her to get an abortion, which she seriously considered. I knew that if I got an abortion, a part of me would be broken. Emmy went to a preborn center in need of guidance. They honestly were able to put every fear at ease and let me know that it was going to be okay. Because of them, he's here. I couldn't imagine my life without him. Preborn clinics introduce moms in crisis to their babies through ultrasound while providing hope, love, and the gospel in action. When an expectant mother meets her baby on ultrasound and hears the heartbeat, she's 80% more likely to choose life for her baby. To find out more, go to preborn.com. That's preborn.com. Or dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby. That's pound 250 and say baby. Your love can save a life. Welcome back to Washington Watch. President Biden's approval rating continues to drop as the situation in Afghanistan unfolds. And while the president yesterday tried to connect that drop to his decision to withdraw troops, it's clear that Americans, for the most part, do not disagree with the decision, but rather the way the decision is being executed. And also, likely voters um, have something to say about his drop job rating that's dropping long before the debacle in Afghanistan. Joining me now to talk about what some of the latest polling is telling us is Jim Lee, president, CEO, and founder of Susquehanna Polling and Research, which conducted a poll of likely voters in the U.S. for the Federalists last week. Jim, welcome back to the program. Thank you so much, Meg. Pleasure to be here with you. It's great to have you. Uh, before I ask you about the poll you conducted, I want to get your reaction to President Bi President's response when he was asked about a poll yesterday by CBS News. Can we play clip New three? The poll out today shows Americans wanted to withdraw from Afghanistan, but they disapprove of the way you've handled it. Poll also found that based in part on what's transpired in the last week, a majority of Americans, and forgive me, I'm just the messenger, no longer consider you to be competent, focused, or effective in the job. I haven't seen that poll. It's out there um, from CBS this morning. Um, <laughs> what would you say? So, Mr. Lee, do you think the president should be concerned about what people in America think about his job performance? Boy, that uh, dodging of the question is the same management style that got us in the mess we're currently in now in Afghanistan. Um, you know, polling is, um, I think, an important barometer. He certainly uh, um, had the public on his side in 2020 when polls showed his response to the COVID pandemic was um, on point. But I think if you look at the aggregate average for Joe Biden now in the real clear politics average of polls, and that's important because it averages all the polling that's out there, Meg, the president's now at 48% on job approval um, collectively. And that's not a good place to be when you compare his approval rating to the last three presidents we've had at the conclusion of their first years in office. But for Trump, who was upside down by 14 points, Obama had a 56 approval, 56% approval rating after his first year. 
Bush 43 had a 65% approval rating after his first year in 2001. Biden at 48% shows how much he's underperforming in relationship to his predecessors. Sure, it's it uh, would be concerning to me were I in his shoes. Um, what did your research firm find uh, regarding U.S. voter opinion um, on the direction the country is headed? You know, that's an, a very fascinating statistic. In this poll, 60% of Americans, including 56% or a majority of Democrats, that's Biden's base, believe the country is headed in the wrong direction. Now, that's staggering to me. Um, Democrats should be celebrating uh, this new direction the president has given us for America. Instead, we have less than one in three Democrats saying the country's headed in the right direction. And those wrong track voters as a group disapprove of the president's job handling by a 52-40 margin, disapprove. Wow. And, you know, look, um, if I were gearing up for a 2024 presidential race as a Republican, I'd want to see a high wrong track because wrong track voters, we know historically, tend to vote for change. And this is not an, an impressive trajectory for the current administration, particularly given um, how many Democrats disapprove of the direction of the country. And that, I think, says something. Sure. I think you were in the field on this poll before the Afghanistan uh, debacle started and then slightly after it happened. What, what do you think the numbers will be like once we have some polling that's that's just after? Well, yeah, and that's a great point because the president's overall approval rating in this poll was 49%. We went in the field four days before the Afghanistan, but continued collecting interviews three days after the fall of Afghanistan. And the president's approval rating in that first four-day window prior to the fall of Afghanistan was above 50% and then fell to 38% this past Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday when the news became pretty much at a saturation point, you know, regarding Afghanistan. So that was a very precipitous drop the polling I've seen that's come out when the field dates were exclusively last week, i.e. after the fall of Afghanistan has really played out across the country, continues to show the president underwater where more Americans disapprove of his draw performance than approve. Now, how will that shake out in the coming days, I think depends on to what extent we get our Americans out, the news images of the Taliban and what they do to people trapped in that country, and to what extent this nation starts to focus more on terrorism as a imminent threat to our country, which during the Trump administration, remember, say what you want about Trump, and Americans gave him high marks for how he handled the war on terror. Sure. So I think that's really the wild card right now is how will this play out across the nation? Right. We have about um, a we have about a minute left. I wondered if you could tell us um, 
what your polling said about we had this news out from the FDA this morning what what before that came out you d you had some questions on uh, the pandemic and lockdowns could you share just a little bit of that data with us before we go sure uh, and that's really I think a disconnect because overall Americans give high marks to the president for his handling of COVID but a strong two-thirds of people surveyed nationwide do not want another lockdown of businesses, the economy, and school districts as we continue to see new spread of this Delta variant. So thank you, Jim. Thank you, Jim. Like we got the president's doing, but not so much on the lockdowns. We're going to have to stop you there, Jim. Thank you so much for being with us. We really appreciate so your welcome. insights, and we'll have you back soon. Coming up, Maria Keffler is going to offer parents some much-needed advice for how to truly help children escape gender cult, the cult of gender ideology. She has practical helps for parents, and we'll talk about this next. Stay tuned. Making the most of your money. Here's Dan Celia on American Family Radio. Well, as we look at this week and the economic data coming out, we get existing home sales, and this is a July number, yes, and it is likely, one would think, to be up, but it'll be interesting to see because there's very little inventory. New home sales come out on Tuesday, and that also a July number, that will be likely a very interesting number i'm suspecting it's going to be a little bit low based on the fact that builder confidence number was so low durable good numbers come out for the month of july of course the hope is that it'll go over one percent but if home builder confidence is down and new home sales are down it is likely that durable good orders won't be a great number either so we'll watch that closely. Thursday, we get the usual initial jobless claims. And right now we're sitting under 400,000. And that's good. We'll see if that can continue to hold. But the big news is going to be Thursday, we get GDP revision for the second quarter. Some are expecting that to go up above the 6.5%. I am not. I'm expecting it to be below 6.5 percent i think gdp is going to continue to look kind of rough as we head through this year friday we get personal income consumer spending two extremely important numbers these are july numbers as we look ahead for the rest of the year michigan sentiment number sitting at 70 it's a very low number we'll see if that improves on friday as well Want to hear more financial advice from Dan Celia? Look for his podcast at AFR.net. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Meg Kilgannon, filling in for Tony Perkins, who will be back soon from vacation. Uh, in influenced by progressive political organizations, many school administrators are enforcing dangerous policies that, quote unquote, affirm children in gender confusion. It may not be a religion by definition, but the transgender crusade we're seeing has all the makings of a religious cult. So parents need to be equipped to steer their children away from it and to pull them out if they've been sucked in. Joining me now to talk about how this can be done is Maria Keffler, the co-founder of Partners for Ethical Care. 
She has a book that was published earlier this year titled Desist, Detrans, and Detox, Getting Your Child Out of the Gender Cult. Maria, welcome back to the program. Thanks so much, Meg. I appreciate you inviting me today. Well, as a person who, who ran a parents organization uh, back in 2016, I can really appreciate the need for this book. Um, I spoke here at Family Research Council, and, and after that, I got hundreds of calls from all over the country from parents who were just desperate to help their children to, to break free of this, this agenda, this, this cult-like situation they find themselves in. So I really thank you for writing the book. Can we start with explaining some of the terms in the title for those of our audience who may not be familiar? What do the words desist, detrans, and detox really mean in this context? That's a good question. Um, desist means to stop persisting or stop insisting. So kids who have been drawn into the transgender ideology insist that they are not the sex that they were born. Um, you know, if their bodies are male, they may insist that they're female, insist that they're non-binary. Um, so to desist is to stop insisting that, to step away from the transgender narrative. The trans uh, is very similar, the same thing. A lot of kids transition either socially, medically, or surgically, and to detransition or detrans is to step away from those changes. And, and then detox. And then detox, this is a really toxic agenda. Um, we put the word cult in the title. My organization, Partners for Ethical Care, we kicked that around a lot, really talked about whether we wanted to use the word cult and we just feel like it is the best descriptor of this ideology. It is a toxic ideology. It is very harmful. It's harmful for children, harmful for families, harmful for society. And so detox is, is just helping kids to get rid of those toxic effects of the gender industry. I, that's a great explanation of the title. Um, as you were embarking on the research for the book, what sort of experts did you want to connect with and why did you choose those people? Um, I read a lot around this issue as I became aware more and more through working in the school systems, through finding out what was happening in schools, really researching where this was coming from. And some of the people who were very influential for me were Jennifer Billick. She has a blog called The 11th Hour Blog. She's looked a lot into the financial roots of this and where it came from. Um, Abigail Schreier's book, uh, Irreversible Damage, The Transgender Craze Seducing Our Daughters, that was a very powerful book for me, as well as Ryan Anderson's book, When Harry Became Sally. Um, all of those really speak to different aspects of this and how it's come to take such a stranglehold on our kids. Right. Um, there you, there, I loved the book for so many reasons. Um, I really enjoyed reading it just as a parent who, by the grace of God, is not dealing with this. It still has fantastic advice for dealing with the problems that, of course, all families are blessed with from time to time. We mm -hmm. all have the challenges of family life that refines us, that refine us and bring us closer to God and one another. Often mm -hmm. that's through not just good times, but challenging times. Um, 
And you are a uh, trained as a school counselor, I believe, or school psychologist. What is your expertise that you bring to this debate, your background? Not exactly. I, I was a high school teacher, middle school and high school English teacher, but my master's degree is in educational psychology, okay. um, not counseling, but in how people learn and how uh, people how to harness um, cognitive techniques, behavioral techniques, motivational techniques to help people learn. Um, so that's where my background is. Um, so we have about, um, about two minutes left. Can you just briefly explain to us what is the problem with affirmative care for children who make a gender declaration? The problem is in no other area of psychology, education, or medicine is a one-size treatment plan the best thing for every person. But in this area, in the gender industry, in this ideology, that's what's being forced on everyone. The only thing you're allowed to do is say, yes, I agree with you that you are a different sex than your body says. That alone is a problem. When we say there's no other path but one, that alone tells you that some, something else is going on that's not true. But at its core, whatever you tell a child about him or herself is what that child will believe and persist in. And we need to be teaching truth, not lies to our kids. Yes, we know that we cannot change our sex and it is certainly not a charity to lead a child to believe that they can. Mm -hmm. So thank you, Maria, for this wonderful book. I know that parents who are struggling with this will find it a, a treasure. And those of us who aren't dealing with this can still take away useful parenting tips from the book. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks so much, Meg. Um, coming up, the U.S. Food and Drug Administration has approved the first COVID-19 vaccine. What does this mean for those who don't want to be vaccinated? We'll discuss this after the break with Mike Berry from First Liberty Institute. Don't go away. We are living in a time of biblical illiteracy, meaning most of our friends and neighbors, including those who attend church, don't think about the day's moral and cultural issues through a biblical lens because they do not know what the Bible teaches. We are seeing the terrible effects of this on our culture as our society has rebelled against the truth of God's word. That is why Family Research Council has launched the Center for Biblical Worldview. This exciting new ministry was created to help Christians adopt a biblical worldview, to understand why scripture must be authoritative, and to give believers the tools to advance and defend their faith in the workplace, in their communities, and in the public square. Through FRC's Center for Biblical Worldview, you'll get research and resources to help prepare you to give a biblical answer to our culture's most pressing questions. Access the center's free resources at frc.org worldview. That's frc.org slash worldview. The American Family Association's mission is to inform, equip, and activate individuals to strengthen the moral foundations of our culture. Our goal is to be a leading organization in biblical worldview training for cultural transformation. Here's another of our core values. AFA upholds the truth that all human beings, including the unborn, are created in the image of God and are worthy of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Thank you for standing with us, and we thank you for your support.
the gospel. What I heard on the radio, you guys have changed my life. Vital information. My kids and I are so thankful for you, and we love your news and everything that y'all give out. God is using American Family Radio to transform American culture. We'd love to hear your story. Call 877-876-8893. That's 877-876-8893. You might hear yourself on the air during our share October 12th, 13th, and 14th. Hey, what's up? I'm Toby Mack. There is a way to break free from drug addiction, no matter how hopeless things might seem. I went back to drinking and I became homeless and it's like, this is crazy. I frankly have had everything a person ever wanted in the world. And here I am with a bag walking around in the dark and it's raining and it's freezing cold. And I came to the door in the early morning and Teen Challenge let me come in and they said, we love you. And I wasn't treated like a garbage can, which is how I felt about myself. I let people be good to me and it changed. I discovered that with God, I can be sober and I am not the same person that walked in. Adult and Teen Challenge helps people find a life of freedom and they offer a variety of services. With hundreds of locations across America, they can help you or your loved one too. You can learn more at 417-581-2181 or online at teenchallengeusa.org. You're listening to American Family Radio. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Meg Kilgannon filling in for Tony Perkins. We're really happy to have you here this afternoon. Um, earlier today, the FDA gave full approval for the Pfizer-BioNTech COVID-19 vaccine for individuals 16 years of age and older. The announcement is expected to boost the vaccination rate and set up more clashes over vaccine mandates. The Pentagon has already jumped on it, saying this morning that it would accelerate plans to mandate vaccination for active duty troops. So now that the Pfizer vaccine has been approved, the department is prepared to issue updated guidance requiring all service members to be vaccinated. A timeline for vaccination completion will be provided in the coming days. With students returning to school and some companies preparing to mandate the vaccine for their employees, what's the recourse for those seeking religious exemption? Joining me now to talk about this is Mike Berry, General Counsel for First Liberty Institute, whose office was already receiving hundreds of requests for legal help on the issue prior to the FDA's announcement today. Mike, welcome back to the program. It's great to be with you. Thanks for having me. There's so much I'd like to cover today, and we have only 15 minutes. So I'd like to make sure we cover three aspects of this uh, that you cover so well in your toolkit. Help for the military objectors, help for students or government employees, and help for employees of private companies that will mandate vaccines on as a condition of employment. But are there a couple of key takeaways you want to give us before we dive into those issues? Yeah, I think the main takeaway right now is that it's obviously a very confusing and complex environment for a lot of people. There's a lot of uh, information out there, a lot of misinformation. Uh, it seems like the rules are changing daily for a lot of people. Um, and, and so the real important takeaway for most folks is uh, regardless of who your employer is or what your status is as a student, uh, as, a, as an employer, as an employee, you absolutely have available to you two forms of religious exemption or religious accommodation. And that can be a medical exemption or a religious accommodation. 
And we're encouraging people, if you believe that you're eligible for one of those, then you absolutely should take advantage of that. But, but uh, what goes hand in hand with that is that the mere fact that you have a right to apply or to request a medical exemption or religious accommodation doesn't guarantee that it'll be granted. And there are times and circumstances where uh, perhaps it, 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 you know, the, the denial of one of those might be appropriate under the law. And there are times when those will not be appropriate under the law. And at First Liberty Institute, we're encouraging people to reach out to us so that we can evaluate those on a case-by-case -case basis. Great, so let's start with military personnel. What are you hearing from our service members and what help can you give them? Well, the latest uh, numbers in the military are that uh, approximately 80%, it may be a little bit higher than 80% now, but roughly 80% of all active duty service members, so this doesn't include the National Guard, doesn't include the Reserve, just the active component, uh, roughly 80% has been fully vaccinated, meaning that 20%, approximately 250, 260,000 uh, service members have not been vaccinated. If we want to take just a, con a very conservative estimate of that and say if of those 250,000 who have not been vaccinated, 10% have a religious objection to being vaccinated, then we're talking about 25,000 people. If 25,000 service members have a religious objection, then I think the Department of Defense really needs to hard take a hard look at, at why it's making this a, a you know no exceptions across the board mandate and saying that it's potentially going to violate the religious rights, the First Amendment rights of, again, by conservative estimates, 25,000 service members. Uh, that would be terrible for our constitutional rights and probably terrible from a medical science perspective. It certainly would be ironic to consider that the, the soldiers who are protecting us and protecting our rights to religious freedom would not be able to exercise them themselves. That would really be an unfortunate situation. Um, we know military service is a family affair. Will this impact family members of the military? Do you have any indication of that? Well, absolutely. Uh, I mean, look, it's a, it's a very common occurrence. Anybody who's served in the military, who's, who's watching or listening knows that it's very common for if the, the husband or the wife, whichever spouse is on active duty in the military, the other spouse might potentially have a job as a civilian employee within the DOD. They might work on base, um, you know, and, and, and because we hire, you know, again, the Department of Defense is one of the largest employers in the country. And those employees might also be under this mandate, even though they're not on active duty. So yes, it, it is a military, it is a family affair, excuse me, just as you said, and it can have far reaching impacts beyond just the service members themselves, their spouses, their children, their dependents, et cetera. And so again, I want to reiterate that our Pentagon officials and leaders really need, I, I think they need to do a better job of taking a long, hard look at how they roll out this mandate and the types of exemptions and accommodations that they're willing to make available to service members and to ensure they should be sending out messages right now to say no service member, no dependent will face any sort of punishment or adverse treatment simply because they want to take advantage of something the law guarantees, a medical exemption or religious accommodation. That would be wonderful to see happen. Um, let's shift now over to the education space, which may cover some of the government employee aspect of this too. 
Um, over 700 universities across the country have required vaccines for students. Some of those have also required them for employees and professors. Um, do you have resources for students to help them navigate this if they would like to exercise a religious exemption? Yeah, once again, we encourage people to go to firstliberty.org. There's a, a button at the top of the, the screen that says uh, get legal help or request legal help. We're happy to provide what we call a, a vaccine toolkit. Uh, the toolkit covers a lot of the bases that you and I are talking about. Um, public employees, military service members, private employees. Uh, we try to make it as much of a one-size-fits-all as we can, and, or really more of a buffet. Uh, you can take what you want and leave the rest. But there is no silver bullet here, right? There's no, um, well, if I just use these magic words, then the government has to, to, to you know, give me what I want. Uh, and I want to reiterate that. But when it comes to uh, students, especially in the, in the university setting, um, this is where it can get very complicated. If you live in a state like Texas or Florida, where the governors and legislatures of those states have, have essentially banned vaccine requirements or so-called vaccine passports, et cetera, uh, then public universities in those states likely cannot make getting a vaccine a condition of returning to school. But private universities, in many instances, can. Now, there may be other ways that those state legislators, legislatures can uh, prevent private universities from making vaccines mandatory, such as withholding uh, certain types of funding, et cetera. But uh, again, it, like I said, it's a very complicated environment out there, and we encourage people to come to firstliberty.org so that uh, they can allow us, the experts, to, to really guide them through it. Right, and I, I think it would be useful uh, to talk about the difference between or the similarities in a religious exemption versus a religious accommodation as we shift over to talk about from the public sphere to talk about what employees of privately owned companies can expect. Um, do they have rights to religious accommodations and uh, if their employers start mandating vaccines as a condition of employment? Yeah, I mean, the, the basic rules for private employers, that obviously, if you're a private employer, if, you, if you're a small business owner and you run your own company, then yes, I mean, you know, we've argued for years that private business owners, especially faith-based business owners, should be able to run their businesses according to their own sincerely held beliefs. And if you're a private business owner and you want to require all of your employees to be vaccinated, then for the most part, uh, that's something that you're probably going to be able to do. However, there is something called Title VII of the Civil Rights Act of 1964. And if you have a business that has 15 or more employees, then you're subject to Title VII. And you have to make available uh, at least the ability to request a religious accommodation. Uh, again, that doesn't mean that you have to grant that religious accommodation in every instance. So for those who are employees of, of private uh, companies out there, Yes, you can request a religious accommodation, but the mere fact that you request it doesn't mean that it's going to be granted. And if it's denied on inappropriate grounds or if it's denied unlawfully, then, yeah, you have a right to appeal that. You could file a, a complaint of discrimination with the EEOC, the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, for religious discrimination. And, and again, uh, there's no guarantee that that will be successful in court. Uh, just to be honest, I, I think a lot of these, it's going to be an uphill climb for people but there are going to be uh, a substantial number of people whose religious accommodation requests are denied inappropriately and improperly, and they absolutely should have legal recourse available to them. Sure, and we, we know there's always, always 
uh, comfort in numbers and power in numbers. And the more people of faith ex exercise their right to religious exemptions, um, the more everyone will understand the need for that and the importance of it. Um, do you have any um, advice for uh, those who are seeking exemptions on medical grounds? Yeah, I mean that I, I'm not I, I'm not a doctor. Uh, that that's not an area where I have uh, any nearly as much expertise as I do when it comes to constitutional law and religious liberty. But I would say, uh, just from a practical standpoint, uh, I mean, go, let's use the military as, as an example. What I don't understand is why the Department of Defense is not looking at the fact that many service members have already uh, contracted and recovered from COVID, and if you've recovered then it's very likely that you have the antibodies present in your system. And why can't we simply we do a, a simple antibody test to see whether or not somebody already has the COVID antibodies present, which would then make the need for a vaccine uh, minimal, if, if necessary at all. And, you know, in the law, the when, when somebody requests a religious accommodation and they can show that the requirement that they get this vaccine substantially burdens their sincerely held religious beliefs, the government has to show that it has a compelling government interest in requiring you to get this vaccine. And it also has to show that getting the vaccine is the least restrictive means of accomplishing whatever its stated goal is. And it seems to me that testing people and saying, well, have you already had COVID? And if you have and you've recovered, then maybe you don't need to get the vaccine. That seems to be medically sound uh, as far as everything that I've read in the literature and all the data that I've seen uh, most medical experts would agree if you've already had it and recovered then you probably have the antibodies in your system and the vaccine is probably not nearly as effective in fact your natural immunization is probably far stronger than an artificial immunization and so uh, you know going back to your question about then then what would I, what advice would I give to somebody who wants a, a medical exemption or a medical waiver, I would say, go talk to your primary care provider, get the antibody test, see if you have those antibodies present and see if you get some other blood work done to see maybe you have uh, some sort of uh, allergic reaction uh, that you are susceptible to that your medical provider says, you know what, you probably shouldn't get the vaccine because it may actually have an adverse reaction. And we know for a fact that there are many people who have been suffering adverse reactions to these vaccines. And so uh, again, we shouldn't be dispensing these vaccines as a one-size-fits-all, everybody get them, no exceptions, et cetera, et cetera. I just think that's, that's bad from a legal standpoint and that's bad from a medical standpoint. Sure. Um, we, we didn't quite uh, finish up on the difference between the religious exemption or religious accommodation. Could you, could you make that clear for the audience, please? Yeah, I mean, so legally speaking, there's a difference between the two. I'll, I'll start with this and say, from a practical standpoint, it, there really isn't that much of a difference uh, to the to the ordinary uh, uh, everyday American in terms of the effect that it would actually have on them. But the legal nuance between an exemption and an accommodation is an exemption is is actually saying uh, or asking to be exempt from a law. In other words, to say I don't think this law should apply to me for whatever this, the facts or circumstances are. Right? I should be exempt from having to comply with this law. Whereas an accommodation says, look, I'm not challenging this law or whether this law is valid or whether this law should apply. I'm simply asking to be accommodated from it. So uh, in other words, the, the law can continue to apply, but I have unique facts and circumstances uh, in, in, in my life 
are, that are such that uh, I'm asking for it not to be applied to me in this particular or specific instance, whereas an exemption is probably a little bit broader and just saying, I'm asking for this law not to apply to me, period. Uh, so I realize that's you know getting down into the weeds and, and, and some legal nuance, but I, and, and again, from a, from a practical standpoint, in terms of the effect that it would have on somebody who's making the request, uh, it, it would largely be transparent. And when it comes to a religious objector, we typically refer to that as a religious accommodation, not a religious exemption. And from a medical standpoint, it's often referred to as a medical exemption as opposed to a medical accommodation. So that, that's really the, the, the main difference, I think. Uh, so we have about two minutes left. Are there other avenues for those who are vaccine hesitant or just simply do not want to get the vaccine? Are there other? Uh, that's a tough question. I mean, I, you know, it's one that, that we face every single day here at First Liberty, the, the, the ultimate question of, well, what if my religious accommodation is denied or what if my employer threatens to fire me or if I'm in the military, what if the military threatens to court-martial me? Are they going to do that? I will say that the Pentagon so far has, has stopped short of saying we will court-martial service members if they refuse, but they have left it open as a possibility. They've certainly left court-martial on the table. So for those who are facing that sort of a scenario of loss of job, loss of employment, getting kicked out of the military and court-martialed, I would say, again, start with your primary care provider. Talk to your doctor. See if you might be eligible for a medical exemption and, and then combine that together with a religious accommodation. I think that's probably the strongest possible uh, scenario is that you have both a medical exemption and a religious accommodation. Um, and, and if it's denied, again, contact First Liberty Institute. We're happy to evaluate those on a case-by-case -case basis. Great, Mike. Thank you so much for your work in this area. I know that our audience will be really interested to visit your website. We're very happy that you've been with us today. And I wanna encourage everybody to come back next week for Washington Watch with Tony Perkins. This is Meg Kilgannon signing off. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.